Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attack. Hey, what's up? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Dan Lorenzo from Hades, nonfiction, The Curse, and my horrible solo music. You listen to my boy Victor on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fire of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Winthrop of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attack. Hi, this is Jean Beauvoir from Crown of Thorns, and you are listening to Mars Attack. To the Chinese wall, no matter what the hour is, one thing suits it all.
a little crown of thorns there with Rock Ready coming off of the album Faith. This is Mars Attacks Podcast, episode 34. I am your host, Victor. And during this episode, we have a very special interview with Jean Bonvois of, among other groups, Plasmatics, Crown of Thorns. He's worked with Kiss, helped write three of their biggest tracks from the 80s. He's worked with Bruce Springsteen, Stephen Van Zandt. We get into all of that during this episode. A lot of cool stuff that we discuss. We really swerve off the musical path during this episode as well. We talk about race relations and things like that. And uh, it comes out pretty cool in my opinion. And I'm not just saying that because I conducted the interview. But listening back, I think there are a lot of cool points that um, that he touches upon. And, um, you know... I have a a huff fest and a uh, right fest and and what have you, but uh, I think it comes off, you know, uh, pretty neat. Say plenty of you knows as well. But uh, anyway, I really enjoyed talking to Gene. Was really cool. Uh, was really spare the moment thing. They're playing here in Spain in two days, actually, April twenty seventh. This was conducted a little earlier in the month. But with everything else lined up and everything else going on, well, this is when we're bringing this episode to you. So uh, uh, keep Crown of Thorns in mind. They are going to be working on new material. And uh, I saw a press release on Blabbermouth regarding that. And hopefully we'll find more news regarding the band shortly. Uh, Obviously, they are a hard rock band. uh, Have a lot of cool tracks. We're going to feature some of them. I mean, I could go the easy way and play some of the Kiss tunes. But I think it... uh, Or some of the Kiss tunes that he helped write. But I think uh, we're better off showcasing what he's done in Crown of Thorns. Which is, you know, what we're trying to promote here. As a result, what we're going to do is we're going to get into a track called Cold-Blooded Bitch in a second. It comes off of the last, or excuse me, Lost Cathedral album. Uh, do want to mention, though, that you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes. You can listen to it or download it as well from MarsAttacksRadio.com. So you can stream it from there uh, if you want to listen to it on the way from to work, excuse me, subscribe to it via iTunes, or download the podcast straight from the website. And uh, also, we have a bunch of cool things coming your way. Uh, Things have been sort of slow on the website, but because I am working on this quote-unquote big project, uh, so far names that have been released are Dan Lorenzo, Phil Rind, and uh, if you check back, you'll see the name Peter Ellis shortly. And um, I interviewed him not too long ago, and he's going to be involved in this big project as well. Uh, I've listened to the tracks that he's working on that he's demoing for a few record labels, and uh, the stuff sounds pretty cool. I hope that he gets signed and wish nothing but luck for Peter. He's been really good to the show and has uh, done everything that we've asked him to do. So uh, any time that uh, he needs promoting any of his music, of course, we're going to do it for him. Of course, he was in White Wizard for a little bit there. He also worked with Giz, the former guitarist from uh, The Prodigy. If you've heard Firestarter, that's Giz's work on Prodigy, or on Firestarter, excuse me. 
and uh, he worked on a band uh, with him called The More I See, and they actually do a Prodigy song on that album. There's a, a lot of other really cool stuff on there. It really showcases uh, what Peter can do. I feel a little more than what the uh, White Wizard track that he did, or the two tracks, We Rock and... Of course, the deal cover and shooting star. Um, the more I see, really showcases more of that gritty type British style of singing, maybe more in the vein of Skin from Skunk and Nancy, something from their earlier stuff, maybe some Bruce Dickinson stuff as well. So, that just to give you a little idea of what some of the things that I hear in uh, Peter's voice. I also hear some John Bush, and I've mentioned this to him. and I really think that album sounds cool and can't wait for this newer stuff to be released. Uh, he may give me the go-ahead to allow me to play the demos. We'll see. But uh, still, really appreciate that he's helped the show out and that he's sent those tracks along uh, for me to listen to, even if it's in the privacy of my own home, or as they would say in England, in the privacy of your own home. So anyway, without any further ado... Let's get into a little cold-blooded bitch by Crown of Thorns, then jump into the interview right after.
Crown of Thorns. It's been a while since you've put any new material out. Um, why is now the appropriate time to start playing shows with the band? Um, are you looking to put new material out? Or are you just sort of testing the waters to see if there's interest out there for you guys to put new stuff out? Ah, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> Very good, actually. Um, we are working on putting some stuff out. Um, I actually did some writing, and I've got um, two songs already, and we're going to work on some more stuff. But to tell you the truth, I am testing the waters a little bit. I took a break for a while, and besides putting Faith out, we hadn't really done anything for a while. Sometimes you need right. to get away from things for a minute to kind of you know, step back and get some perspective on what you're doing and, you know, who you are and, and what's out there and what you want to do. And, you know, after taking that break, I've got more passion for wanting to play rock and roll, be it back out there more than I've had in a very long time. So I, I think that right now, just with the way the industry is, it's really bad with record sales and, you know, the whole trip, what's going on and downloads yeah. and everything else. But I think that it's an interesting th time for live. And I always felt that the band was a, was a good live band. Mm -hmm. Didn't play as much as we should have. You know, you always have these are things in the future. You know, as time goes by that you go back and say, you know, we should have toured every year. We should have done this. We should have done that. You can beat <laughs> yourself up with that stuff, you know. Right. But at least it kind of feels to me now that people are a little bit hungrier for live shows even more than they've been in a while and I'm not sure why that is, whether it's the fact that, you know, MTV has gone into reality and people are not getting to see things or they just want to see good live bands. So I kind of felt a little bit like everything wasn't based on your record, a single, your video on MTV. You know what I mean? It's more based on go out there and if you do the business and you do a good job and you, entertain people that you're going to it's you're going to move you know things are going to come out of it that, that's kind of what i'm feeling and you know i do a lot of things by my instinct and gut and just something told me we need to get back out there just the timing i stopped i was doing something different i was running steven van zandt's company for a while and um i didn't have time to concentrate on the band i stopped doing that because i realized i really wanted to get back into writing producing and playing so you know, it was just the time, and some of the other guys in the band felt the same way. So it just was good timing. We said, let's go out there and try to play as much as we can, which is not always as easy as you think. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but but you got to put the the you got to throw the seeds out there for things to come back, and that's what I'm doing. Okay, and uh, touching on one of the things you just mentioned, as far as how the industry is, and you know how uh, album sales are and downloads, do you feel that it still makes sense to go out there and make an album, or does it make more sense to sort of go back to what it was like in the fifties and sixties and just put out a single or an EP with a few songs on it and tour behind that? That's exactly what I have in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to tell you the truth. Because um, I, I think that right now, albums, uh, it's a lot of, there are a lot of reasons why I think what you just said, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Thinking about a couple of new songs and to really concentrate on singles, great songs, and right. 
package that with the, some kind of an EP and go and tour around that with an album to come later, you right. know? Okay. But to build the interest again with that, because sometimes you go and you spend, you know, all this time making an album and all do this. And then maybe it comes out and nothing happens. And a year and a half of your life just went by, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> that you went and did where these days, I think that music now is become more of a promotional tool and something to throw out there kind of like, this is a taste of what we are doing now. Right. Now come see us live. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think a lot of bands also, like you're saying, spend a year and a half writing that album. And with a band that has a decent back catalog, they're only realistically playing one or two songs off of that album anyway. So does it make sense to put out a full album if you know, live, they're only going to be playing one or two songs. And consequently, you know, maybe people aren't going to go out and buy a full album just based on what they're seeing live. So I think what you're saying makes sense. You know, and it's funny because you, you kind of analyze things, you know, as, as time goes by and you get older and you've been in a business longer and you realize that to get people to like a new album as much as an old album, it's only one thing that makes that happen. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Because people like your first album from 10 years ago because they've been listening to it for 10 years. Right. You know what I mean? No matter how great that new album is, it's going to take a long time. You know, it's, it's funny. Like, um, I got, you know, I had the opportunity working with Stephen Wuhan through with Springsteen and, you know, tour Europe with Bruce and stuff. And, and to see what people reacted to. And no matter what, people always love Born to Run more than anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing. And you look at it and say, he could write the best songs he wants this year, but it doesn't matter. People still want to hear Hungry Heart and Born to Run. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. And and how many times have you seen, you know, reviews of an album when it first comes out and people say that it stinks or whatever. And then, as you're saying, three, five, ten years go by. And then all of a sudden it was that album that so many people missed out on and it was great and it should have gotten more attention. Yeah, that, that's the funny thing. I'm, I'm reading reviews about Voodoo X from 1989 and uh, the first album. I'm like, where were these people then? They about this is the best record that was made in the past 15 years. I'm like, well, it took you 15 years to figure that out. Uh, right. <laughs> It's a, and, it's, it's a crazy world. <laughs> and and that's difficult. I mean, I've seen, um, or, or I can honestly say I've interviewed people where, you know, I've said, you know, I was really into this song and I really played it a lot. And, you know, and the first comment is always, well, what about the rest of the album? Or, you know, that's great. You're telling me this 10 years later, but why didn't you play it when it first came out? You know, so it's sort of along those same lines. You know, and I think people's attention span is different. Like you, you said about how it used to be. I think people are kind of more in a singles mentality now because people don't have the luxury of time that they used to have. The kids don't have it. And I think people in general, I mean, you know, we used to sit down and listen to an album, drink a glass of wine and get into the band and look at the artwork. And, and we regret that that doesn't happen anymore to a certain extent, but it could be just a matter of, there's just so much more going on in life these days that you don't have that kind of time anymore to sit down and listen to five new albums in an evening with some wine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know I don't have that time, I, you know, 
it's um so it's it's maybe it's better that we concentrate on putting out songs and making sure that every song that you put out and it's representative of you is as great as it possibly could be you know it's just a different thing it's uh you know even though i, I was always into concept albums and you know with, with songs of albums taking you through a journey i i believe in that but it's just times are changing yeah i i agree and you know, with the internet, there's just such a wide net of things that you can, you know, touch and, and listen to. And, you know, there's so many more bands out there than there were, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago where it's almost difficult to filter everything that's out there, everything that a label is trying to promote because there is so much out there. So how do you know what's good, what isn't good? And, you know, almost with focusing in on a single or, you know, smaller things, it's almost like you're, you know, putting your best effort into one calling card per se. That's, you know, that's right. That's, that's, that's right. What you just said, I think is that hits it. It's the nail on the head because basically now you're competing. I mean, back, like you said, 15 years ago, you had whatever, five, six labels that released 20 albums, a you know, or 10 albums, a you know, whatever that year. Yeah, two per quarter, three per quarter, and that's all you're gonna get. That's it. Yeah. So you have to choose from those albums. That's it. So your window's so small. I mean, right now, just MySpace and these sites, and they're like, yeah. I'm not joking when I say that there are they're like 100 million bands. Yeah, I mean, yeah, without a doubt, 100 million bands. So you're right. With one song, you'd be lucky to get people to listen to a snippet of one song of yours. Yeah. You know, except for your devoted fans, of course, that are there. But um, so you have to put it all into one calling card. That's probably a, a very good way to, to look at it. Put your best effort yeah. forward so that people get. And then from there, then that can reintroduce you. And then you can, you know, people can go dig deeper if they want to. But yeah, you know. I, I agree. And and it's refreshing to be able to uh, discuss this with you because I think there are a lot of uh, artists that have had success in the past that that don't see that and sort of don't have that same grasp of reality thinking that if they sold big you know back in the late 80s that you know why aren't they selling big now it isn't so much that the band isn't selling well it's just that the market has completely changed uh maybe the demographics have changed as well and the way that people are you know, getting in, in touch with things. And I mean, I see this now being in my, you know, late thirties where you see kids coming up and they're saying that, you know, things like ACDC or kiss or, or motorhead are, are no longer hard rock or metal or things like that. No, no, that's too soft. That's, you know, my, my father's music or whatever. And, and me pulling the hairs out of my head saying, what are you nuts? You know, <laughs> they're saying motorhead is too soft. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I've, I've read that plenty of times. Shit, I had a conversation with someone who was telling me that Judas Priest wasn't an influence on hard rock or metal, that, you know, other bands are more influential. I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, with without them, you don't have any of the dueling leads, you know, between them and Thin Lizzy. I mean, those are the two bands that established that for, you know, probably every band from the mid to late 70s onward. So. That's right. That's right. And. Yeah, it's it's just a different. I mean, things have gotten really heavy too. I, I noticed. I mean, kids are really into this death metal thing thing right now, and yeah. I mean, that's what it, it's. It's a whole different. It's a different audience. It's a different style of music, you know. And it's, yeah. It's, um, 
you know yeah it's it's just times change it's just the way it goes yeah you know yeah absolutely um you've mentioned some of the legendary people that you've worked with you mentioned uh little steven you mentioned bruce as well um what are some of your favorite projects that you've worked on over the years you know, well, the Ramones. I mean, that was definitely one of my favorite projects. I'm not going to say it was an easy project, but was, right. it was one of my favorites. Um, Kiss, I mean, pretty much I enjoy – it's all a challenge to me. I don't want to sound too diplomatic here, but it's like – because I'm somebody that needs a lot of different things to stay motivated. Right. And I like – you know, it's almost like some of you likes to travel and some th- things you like about Germany, things you like about France, things you like about Florida, thing, you know what I mean? Right. I'm not like a one-place person, one person. It's the same thing with my music. I like to be challenged, and I like to jump into different roles, you know? And mm-hmm. when you work with people like the Ramones or with Kiss or anybody else, it's almost like you become a fifth member for that time that you're working, no matter how right. long or short you're working with them. And it's a great thing. It's a great thing to be able to jump and be in Kiss for you know X amount of time, right? To see what they're thinking and and what motivates them and and what what is a finished song to him and why it's a finished song and when is it finished and what mm-hmm. message they're trying to get across and and you know and everything that goes along with it. And it's the same thing with the Ramones. You know mm-hmm. what makes DD click? What makes Joey? feel satisfied what you know why is johnny like that you know you have to you have to do all of that when you're working on a project right and you really get deep into it so for me it's it's great it's like almost like when i was in the plasmatics you know it was being you're playing a role it's like it's like being an actor in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. you know and um but you get to really live it for that certain amount of time and then at the end you've contributed to this world (laughs) you know what i mean right you know, so a lot of the projects, uh, pretty much, I, I can't really think of too many things that I've done that I've really haven't enjoyed. You know, it's okay. just in different ways. You know, like I just came back from a songwriting trip in Scandinavia because I also I'm signed to Universal as a writer. Right. So I do um, that at times. And so Universal Scandinavia brought me over to work with God. What was it? A Norwegian team. And then literally like eight or nine other teams in Sweden and you know Swedes are great songwriters and very innovative and on the edge and I found that challenging which is why I wanted to do it a lot of work we worked every day I got to Norway we did a song a day I was there like 17 18 days and finished literally a song a day almost every day with completely different people that you don't know you haven't (laughs) seen before and different styles everything from crown of thorns to Korean dance to to (laughs) to um, you know, songs for possibly for American artists, uh, songs for, you know, everything, all different kinds of stuff. And it was really fun to do it and just to kind of see how even some of the newer teams, I teams ranging from guys who had hits 20 years ago and who are right. not writers to other teams that Universal has that, you know, 22-year-old kids who are fantastic musicians can play every instrument can do everything and know everything about a computer and sounds and everything else. And, you know, it's interesting. It's fun. Right. It's a good challenge to, so yeah, I've liked most of the product, but kiss the Ramones, of course, uh, you know, the solo tough crown of thorns, voodoo X, those, those were my favorites. You know? Okay. As far as the uh, Ramones album that you worked on, I think it's a very underrated album. Um, possibly has, 
my all-time favorite Ramon song on there, which is I Believe in Miracles. Um, And the song Pet Cemetery. I mean, I was in a rock club two weeks ago. And it came on, you know, so it's a song that even though, you know, they're most known for Blitzkrieg Bop and things like that, that song in itself has, you know, had almost a life of its own, even if it wasn't one of their more popular time periods. Well, you know, the one thing that um, that's been great about those projects is that they just keep going. Like I produce one Ramones album in reality, but I'm on 13 Ramones albums. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of interesting you know it's like because like for example especially that song my brain is hanging upside down bonzo that song just keeps on getting released and re-released and re-released that song just doesn't end it was the title track for school of rock it was it became the, <laughs> you know the, the song the commercial for rv the film you know that film and then it just right keeps so I think that that's good and I'm happy about that that somehow even though you do the it's not like the album is done and it's gone Right. Just the song just keeps coming back and coming back. And it's the same thing with Kiss. You know, uh, I wrote three songs for Kiss, but mm-hmm. actually, I think I'm also on like six, seven albums. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's good. I mean, it's, I guess it's fortunate to at least be have the songs that, <laughs> that end up on those other albums. Right, right, right. No, I, absolutely. And that, you know, at the end of the day, that also. Um... I'm sure helps monetarily as well. If they keep releasing them, obviously you're getting kickbacks yeah. along the way as well. Yeah. You get royalties from it. I mean, yeah. You're not buying houses with it, but I mean, yeah, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's, who's buying houses nowadays from the music industry, you know? Yeah. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> so. <Big bunch>. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned that you worked on three songs with the band. Uh, Thrills in the Night, and what other two songs did you help write? Who Wants to Be Lonely. Okay. And uh, All Night. So three of their you know, bigger singles in right. the, uh, during the 80s. Right. So it's a shame that Thrills in the Night um, was a single, and over the years maybe hasn't been as recognized as the other two that you mentioned. But I thought that song was one of the stronger songs off of Animalize. Ah, okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah it is, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> like, And you never know the way time goes. Next year, it could be the greatest song of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. It's, tr- <laughs> it's strange on their exposed DVD that it's listed in the credits, but the video's never shown during the actual, uh, well, going back to the VHS or when they released it in DVD a few years ago. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny you mentioned that, because as we're sitting here talking, I've got a, an exposed record right behind me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the, for, the DVD, for the DVD and uh, VHS. That's funny. God, that's some crazy times. Crazy times. How did you hook up with the guys from KISS? I met Paul in a club. Okay. We actually, you know... Um, I think we frequented the same kind of clubs. We kind of were kind of rock guys that like to go to like trendy disco places, <laughs> probably okay. because of the girls. And, right. <laughs> you know, I think we liked contrast. You know what I mean? Some people like to always stay in their element. Right. Our personalities were similar that we liked contrast. You know, it's like the thing of rock and roll, being a rock guy who's, 
You know, it, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's just one of those things. So I was at a club called Heartbreak at the time in the city that was like mm-hmm. the popular hang and all the musicians and all the people, you know, now Rogers at the time, Paul, everybody mm-hmm. of the, of New, from New York used to kind of hang out at this place. It was like an old, right. like, almost like a cafeteria, but with the, okay. but people used to dance in there. And uh, Paul came over to me and said, hey, you're the guy from the Plasmatics. And I'm like, and he says, I'm Paul Stanley. And I was like, whoa, wow. I was a a really big Kiss fan when I was a kid. Uh, So I was really happy to meet him. And there wasn't that many people that really impressed me. That band was so much bigger than life. You know, I always liked that bigger than life, you know, rock star thing, you know. And we just became friends. And he just said, you know, we should hang out. And I said, great, let's do that. And then to tell you the truth, we just hung out. We just... Went to the clubs, dinner, and went to see movies that we liked. And we didn't do any music for like a year. Huh. Nothing. <laughs> not one, not a note. Right. And then all of a sudden, one day, we're hanging out at his house, you know, and uh, ordered some Chinese food. He had a little four-track on his living room table. He said, well, you know, I got this idea. I said, oh, let me see. I pulled up a guitar and boom, 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 thrills in the night. And that's how it started. Wow. You know, very casual. I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, it's kind of strange. A lot of times you meet musicians, you know, and I I knew at that time a lot of musicians were into the plasmatics and they were kind of, I think, intrigued by the fact I was like this black guy, blonde mohawk playing a rock band. It was kind of weird. Kind of like, (laughs) you know, I like this guy. I want to meet this guy, you know. And so I had, you know, cool friends, David Lee Roth, you know, Rob Halford, who I actually haven't talked to in probably 25 years. But, you know, we were pretty close friends back then. And it was just, it's not like we went to each other's shows that much or even even did anything musically. It's just kind of, I think you were kind of similar in style or or people that you could relate to. So you kind of hung out, if that makes any sense. You know? Yeah. And that was it, you know? And, uh, you know, I think in all the time that I hung out with Paul, I, I be, maybe I went to one Kiss show, you know? But we went to the studio, you know? But it was... It was just a different thing. It was kind of like a, you know, it's hard, it's hard to explain. And that's how I met him. And then from there, we started writing, and you know, he got involved in Crown of Thorns and so on and so forth. Okay. Do you still keep in touch with those guys, or I actually haven't spoken to Paul or Gene in probably, oh God, it's years. It's a few years, and we almost. God, when I was working with Steve and Gene was in the same place we were like two years ago and we were going to all hook up, but somehow it didn't happen, you know, so I haven't seen them in a long time. You know, it's just sometimes circumstance, you end up moving to different right. places. And we lived in L.A. all together during Crown of Thorns. Then I moved away. Everybody went their own different direction. And then we kind of all lost touch. But eventually we all meet up again at one point or another, you know. Right. But I haven't been in touch. So it's been a while. Okay. As far as the plasmatics are concerned, what gave you the idea, first of all, the image with the blonde mohawk? What drew you towards that band to want to become part of that band? And uh, do you think that maybe they don't get as much recognition all these years later that maybe they should? Yeah, maybe. Um uh... I think you're right about that. And I'm not sure why, um, you know, you never, you, you don't know what destiny has in mind. You know, it's, it's really weird. People have asked that about crown of thorns and about me, about a lot of things. And, you know, I guess, I don't know. I don't know. But what drew me to the band was at that time I was a rebel, you know, from early on, I, 
you know, I always believed in racelessness and I, I, there was a lot of, you know, America was very different at that time, you know, going right. back. I mean, let's face it. When I was 15, 16 years old, I mean, there was a lot of racism in America, believe it or not. And definitely mm-hmm. nobody black was playing rock and roll, but I grew up on Long Island way mm-hmm. out in Lake Ronkonkoma. And I was the only black kid within like 10 miles. Right. And it was um, very cool. Cause I never really had any problems. I just, did what I did and lived the way I lived. And, and I had great friends and I played in junior high school rock band and had a lot of fans. And I never really saw what all this problem was <laughs> you know I mean, right. in a lot of ways <laughs> that I felt was kind of created by people sometimes. So anyways, I kind of had a different upbringing. So I wasn't brought up in, you know, uh, you know, Queens. Actually, I started there, but my dad got us out of there because we're from Haiti, and he just didn't want us to grow up that way. He wasn't into that. There's a certain Black American mentality that that he just didn't, you know, you know, my, like my cousin who grew up there, you know, ended up in jail, ended up shooting people. You know, he just yeah. didn't want me to be there. So he said, I'm going to move you guys as far out on Long Island as I can. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what he did. We moved to the last exit. It was nothing but like dirt and trees and, you know, frogs. So um, it was like, so I grew up differently and I grew up liking everything. I grew up liking Motown, rock and roll, uh, Zeppelin, Kiss, uh, you know, people were listening to Steely Dan and Chevy Impalas and A-Tracks. It was a whole different thing. So right. by the time I came into the city, I was very different. I was kind of, I had different upbringing and I just didn't really fit into any one thing. Right. And so the plasmatic, so I, I got into the whole punk thing in New York because I kind of felt at home. Um, so I started playing with like a little punk band down in the Lower East Side called NYN and they were like really, it just felt natural. It just felt, I felt comfortable. And the plasmatics just seemed like the perfect thing for me because everybody in that band were like, we were like misfits. You know, everybody, right. you know, Richie was seven foot tall, you know, blue mohawk and Wendy wasn't exactly your everyday girl next door. And, uh, you know, and everybody else was kind of the same. So it was perfect. It was like, and me, I could just fit in. I was the only black guy with the blonde mohawk playing a punk rock band. And I felt like it was a message for everybody. Like, yes, you can like punk. You can like rock. You don't have to just be into that or just be into that. And the blonde mohawk kind of represented racelessness that i can do anything i can be a black guy i can blonde hair blue eyes doesn't matter it's just you know we all should be as one and that's how i felt you know at that time and that was it was and plasmatics was a perfect vehicle and i felt that a lot of the audience were people who didn't want to conform and wanted to have their own identities and wanted to be who they wanted to be and be themselves whether it be i'm not just talking about whether it be color whether it be having to wear a suit every day to go to work whether it be whatever it might be you know, we were about being yourself and right. your own identity. And that band represented that. And it was uh, that, that drew me to the band. And it was uh, it was good. I think it was a very important uh, beginning building block for who I became later. OK. And um, interestingly enough, I'm reading a book now on MTV and how it all came about. And some of the early years there there are certain chapters where they mention that the original programming was sort of racist on MTV because they didn't allow black artists on the network. Um, I remember as a kid seeing the plasmatics on there from time to time. So do you feel that the network as a whole 
was racist? Do you think it was a case of maybe not enough black artists having videos for them to play? Or how do you look at, you know, those early years of MTV? It was definitely racist. But at the same time, you know, I was fortunate, to be quite honest with you, because somehow I was always in things that that uh, they didn't look at it that way. Like the plasmatics, you're right. We ended up on MTV. I was probably one of the first people with little Steven riding a bicycle in that forever video. <laughs> okay. Because they wouldn't play Michael Jackson at the time. Right. And it was, I believe Sony had a, a big problem. They said they were going to pull everything from MTV if they didn't start playing, you know, one of the biggest artists in the world, you know? Yeah. And, um, but at the beginning it was, it was, it was racist. Um, they, I didn't have problems personally, like I said, because they played me with plasmatics. They played me with, uh, little Steven. And then when my solo record came out, I was heavy rotation, you know? Yeah. So I was pretty lucky when it came to MTV for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a problem for a while and then it changed. Now it's a whole different ballgame. My friends right. used to make jokes and say, you know, first you couldn't get a black guy on MTV. Now there's nothing but black guys on MTV. <laughs> <laughs> when that thing started, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I think they made up a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they're compensating now for, for the years that, uh, that they didn't have any uh, black artists on there. And it, it's it's funny because one of the uh, comments that uh, that someone makes, and, and I don't remember who, who the person is, it's a musician, and they mentioned something to the extent of, well, to this day they still follow that, that same thing. And, and I was thinking, uh, obviously they haven't checked out MTV2's Hip Hop Sunday, which is nothing but you know, 24 hours of hip hop. And that's pretty much all the, the, the network plays over here in Europe, for example, it's a lot more diverse, which is, you know, shocking because they have, I mean, the channels that I receive here, there's five different MTV channels that I receive. And I think three or four come out of England and one is directly from Spain. The The one from Spain is similar to the main MTV channel in the States where it's all just reality stuff but the other channels are specifically broken up to different types of music so you have one network that's all rock one that's all uh hip-hop r&b things like that one that's just like techno and things like that which is actually pretty cool to the extent that if you are into one type of music you can go to that network and check things out as opposed to checking out what's um idiot from you know um someplace in new york is doing at the uh, beach in new jersey so no nah, i mean i i i have i'm not gonna say arguments but i disagree with a lot of people who i've heard those kind of comments too oh well i can't believe it you know and it's usually from from blacks you know what I mean? <laughs> who have those kind of comments but listen i've seen it just in my lifetime i've gone right. from being on tour with Gary U.S. Bonds, you know, or in the plasmatics, where literally traveling through America in the plasmatics, they'd go out of truck stops to get food, and I'd have to stay in the truck. Huh. I saw that in the 80s, okay? Right. So to, to changes that were amazing by the 90s. By the 90s, in L.A. and in so many different places, there was nothing you couldn't do. And I felt that a lot of people were bitter 
with no reason. I mean, um, you know, I found a lot of blacks were bitter about, oh, we don't get this, we don't get that. Meanwhile, you know, I said, come on, what other country can, you know, some guy wear his pants down, you know, five inches below his ass and, you know, <laughs> sing fuck, fuck, pimp, pimp, fuck you, I'm going to fuck you all day long and make millions of dollars. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. You know what I'm Yeah, uh, I think one thing that I definitely see being on the other side in, in Europe now uh, definitely you begin to appreciate certain things that make the U.S. what they are. And I think truly if somebody really wants to work uh, to get somewhere, they can accomplish it. And regardless of, you know, a, a lot of race things or a lot of cultural things, maybe it's not as easy, but the opportunities are there. They're there. They're there. And they've been there for a long time. Yeah. I, so... As far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, so... That's, yeah, that's something that, and Europe has always been more open because, you know, like I, even I can remember times when I lived in New York, going back after the plasmatics, I was living in a, an apartment building in New York City. We're talking, right. you know, Lincoln, Lincoln Plaza, it was the ASCAP building. And my oh. lawyer called me and basically told me, you know, Jean, I got a call from the building manager because they want you to move out of the building. I was the only black guy living in the whole building. And this, this is Manhattan. This is like 1984. <laughs> and they said they want, to, wow. they want you to move out of the building because they said that you're scaring people in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, I was a black guy with a blonde mohawk and a motorcycle jacket. So, right. Um, and, of course, I, at that time, he said, I'll call them and tell them that they have to pay X amount, blah, blah, you know, American New York lawyer. You know, but meanwhile, right. I was doing a lot of traveling to Europe. And, for example, I'd go to Sweden in places like Scandinavia and all over Europe, they, this this stuff was unheard of. That just didn't even exist. You know, yeah. you know, you'd have that. None of that stuff even even existed. So it was very different. But America, I feel, really turned quickly. I mean, quickly. I mean, within ten years, it right. was, it just completely became a completely different place. And I think it really is a lot of opportunities for, like you said, for anybody who works hard. And this goes back a while. You know, mm-hmm. it works hard. They, you, you're you going to get it, but you got to put it in and you can't, you know, sit there and say, well, you know, and complain about what happened to you and your people 20, you know, 200 years ago. And yeah. <laughs> and that's why, you know, you don't have anything now and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that with my folks being immigrants to the U.S. and seeing, you know, how my old man busted his ass to to make sure that we had, you know, a good life similar to what you're telling me about your father, you know, moving you guys out to Long Island and such. And, you know, again, if, if you want to make it happen, you can. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, what do you think made, you know, the, the corner turn there uh, with the U.S. and with racism and everything else? You're saying the 90s. Do you think that, you know, what happened out in L.A. had a lot to do with that? Do you think there's one thing that you could pinpoint um, that, you know, helped turn the corner? Or do you think it was just a gradual change over the course of a few decades that it just led to things getting better? I, I mean, I've got my own opinions on this, but I've always believed, and this is even, you know, I had to learn, growing up where I grew up, I told you for the most part it was positive. There was a lot of negative too. I mean, I used to walk, right. ride my bicycle and, you know, kids would be like, oh shit, chocolate man. You know, I mean, I had 
you know, and every time I had a girlfriend, you know, she'd break up with me because her dad found out he was dating me. You know, I went through all that too. But at yeah. the same time, a lot of it I felt was built on role models is that a lot of times people don't understand things, you know? So if you grow up and you're in the fifties and sixties and every time you turn on the TV, a black guy is murdering somebody or raping somebody or, you know, robbing a grocery store or so, you know what I'm saying? Or something, people get a misconception of what a people, whatever it is, a culture, and it's not, I'm not yeah. talking about race, it could be anything, is. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I think that television has a big part to do with it, and I think sports has to do with it. I think a lot of things like that matter. For example, basketball is a popular sport. All of a sudden, a lot of people, fans are sitting at home from all races watching basketball, and they have fans. That guy is a good role, role model, mm-hmm. and it makes people look at people differently. You know what I'm saying? I, right. I think that throughout the years, whether it be basketball, whether it be a Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, being a great role model as a boxer, it, a lot of people love that guy. They just loved him. He made the entire race look different. You know what I'm right. saying? Now somebody else comes on and Mike Tyson bites somebody's ear off. It kind of brings <laughs> you back five years. Yeah. <laughs> Tiger Woods goes and plays golf. I mean, let's face it, 15 years ago, the black guy couldn't even play on a golf course. Yeah. Tiger Woods comes and does what he does. He does a fantastic thing. Guess what? All of a sudden, he just won over, and racism was really gone after that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Then all of a sudden, he does that foolishness <laughs> and brings us back five years. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't think what got him into trouble uh, really necessarily had to do with his race. I mean, no, no, you know, I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, 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 no, I, I know. Pete, role models are a big part of of what it is, and it's just like, I mean, like we talk about this. I think, for example, Muslims, Arabs. Not every Muslim is a bad guy, you know. Yeah. I think that right now they have a big mountain to climb because yeah. people are going to look at no matter what. I think it's just something that's inbred in people's minds as soon as they see somebody who's muslim or arab immediately they think terrorist yeah i don't you know and it takes what's it gonna take to fix that i I don't know (laughs) Uh, uh, some kind of role model that shows something different you know i think that it's it's you know what i'm you know where i'm going you know what i'm saying yeah and that's in general i think it's in general you know just people how people just see people you know yeah Whatever it might be, whether it be Japanese, Korean, whatever it might be. Yeah. You know? I I see that here being an American. When I um, interview a lot of bands, I mean, one of the first things that comes up are U.S. politics. And, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, about people in general uh, from the states and thinking that everyone has the same ideologies or, you know. And unfortunately here in Europe, I think think when it comes to that they don't realize spain for example has the same population and geographically it's as big as california per se okay. and they're comparing you know 40 million people to 300 million people and every time that you see a, a car chase you know out in la or, or something like that you know the news headline is well they're back at it in the states and i'm thinking no you can't you know, do a one-to-one comparison. If you go out and look at all of Europe as a whole, I'm sure that if you look at some of these, you know, ex-Soviet countries or, you know, countries that have gone through civil wars in the last 15 to 20 years, 
you're going to find some screwed up people in these places that are going nuts as well. It isn't exclusive to just the U.S., but the way, like you're saying, the way that TV is portraying things, that's what they're getting across. And, you know, I think to an extent here, the what they're trying to to say is that, well, you know, things aren't as bad here as you think. Look at what's going on over here. You know, there's anarchy and mayhem going on over there at all times. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's complicated. It's it's um, but yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. Interesting subject, actually. It's interesting because a lot, you know, I try to uh, pride myself on not doing your your typical interview where you know it's some stuffy guy that uh, you know doesn't know anything about the music or doesn't really care. And I like to make it more like a conversation and and things like this come out, you know, when you're just talking one on one with someone and you know maybe things veer off from music but i think a lot of uh fans appreciate that because they see another side of the person you're speaking to that maybe through another avenue they wouldn't have uh been able to find out about and um and also being able to talk to you and and record the conversation and put it up in a podcast format you hear people's voices and their inflection and everything else and it's not the same as reading it in print where a lot of times maybe things are edited to suit the person that's doing the interview and maybe things don't come off, you know, the way that you wanted them to. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. How has your gear evolved over the years and what are you currently using? It hasn't. (laughs) 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 Um, To tell you the truth, um, we're actually just testing out some new stuff. We've always been pretty basic. And okay. I'm going to put more into it. You know, I've always been kind of like a Les Paul Marshall guy. I've right. been using, um, I have two Les Pauls that were made for me years ago. They were cut in half so I could have a Floyd Rose on them. Uh, okay. And they're light and they just fit me really nicely. And I've been using them, even though I just started working with another guitar called the Jarrell guitar. It's a guy that I know from many years ago. He started his own guitar company. He was actually a, a photographer who came with me to Haiti when we shot the Voodooettes video, believe it or okay. not. And he's got a guitar line called Jarrell. So I've been playing with that guitar and it's great. So I'm rehearsing with that right now. I'm still using Marshall JCM 800s, even though I'm starting to look into some other things. Um, um, interested in checking out the frame so when we we're going to be rehearsing in new york starting okay on sunday actually because i'm down in florida right now the rest of the guys we're all over the place the band's in san francisco la san diego and i'm here <laughs> okay so we're going to be rehearsing in new york and we're going to try a few things out um we're going to look at uh pvs and um Framus and just a couple of things just to see what happens but for the most part we've we've been using you know, Marshalls, Mesas, uh, Les Pauls, uh, Tommy uses Jackson, uh, you know, Spectre Bases. Pre- pretty pretty straightforward, to be quite honest with you. Okay. And you, um, as far as the pickups are concerned, it's pretty much stock pickups. There isn't any modifications on that end? Well, actually, my guitars have Seymour Duncans on them. Okay. You know, so that's kind of what I've been using. Seymour Duncan's on mine. And Tommy, I believe, is using stock. He might have some Seymour Duncan's on one of his guitars. But yeah, pretty pretty stock. That's it. The Seymour Duncan's on the pickups. Just to get a little more distortion out of it. Right. 
And and they're what? Uh, Seymour Duncan 59s, Pearly oh, Gates. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to tell you the truth, I'm really bad. I'm not that, you know, I, I probably, it's going to sound ridiculous, but I probably spent more time with my guitars right. this time around. I've re got, I've gotten this new passion back for it. Where, you know, what happens sometimes, it, it becomes an extension of you, but it's not, Right. I'm not like a muso guitarist where I sit with the guitar practicing all the time. And play. It's just not my thing, you know? It's just hasn't been my thing. It's, I, it's a part of me on stage. And it's kind of like, you know, it has to do what it needs to do. <laughs> and, right. And <laughs> playing it. But it's, um, I've never been somebody who really, you know, you know, like Tommy's more like that than I am. Okay. Got this new, you know, boss panel, and I'm sitting messing around with it, and I'm changing this pickup, you know. But I haven't been that way for years. But I'm I'm getting like that this year for some reason. I told okay. You that last night we were talking, I said I spent more time with my guitars actually this <laughs> this time around than I have in 15 years. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? I, I don't yeah. make it sound unimportant. It's just um, you know. It's one of those things, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, working with Steven, for example, he was very much the same. And maybe that, you know, it's one of those things where we're touring now. So the guitar tech gets the guitars, brings them to rehearsal. He says, give me the left <laughs> ball. Give me that one. Give me this one. He doesn't know what's in them. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of times, you know, if something works for you, why mess with it? You know, if it's been working for years, then there really isn't a reason to go out and, you know, go out and try to switch this or switch that when you already know what's been working well for years. And that's that's right. That's the fact. Even though, like I said, this year I've kind of been I'm stretching out a little bit because I'm feeling like there's some things that could be better. That um, you know, that I could improve the sound a little bit. I want some, I want some more out of things. So we're gonna spend some time when we're together and try to and you know tighten up some things and because we want it to be as good as it can be. You know what I mean? And there are some great right. new amps doing some great new things. It's not all about a Marshall anymore. And and I realize that a lot of times, you know, since we're not carrying our own gear, we get on tour and I have a JCM, two JCM 100s here in the studio with me, but they're special two-channel JCM 800 that give me as much distortion as I want. But I've run into problems when I get on tour and I get these JCM 800s that have one channel and the thing's got to be so loud before you get any distortion out of it. Yeah that it's, it's compromising the show. So, you know, we're looking for some other solutions. Gotcha. Well, we mentioned before that you've worked with a lot of different people. How does someone like yourself measure success? Because obviously people measure success in, in different ways. You know, if you're Madonna and you're on MTV 24-7 or all over magazines and stuff, that's one form of success. But... You know, you mentioned before that you worked with Little Steven on his label. You've helped produce and write songs for a lot of different people. And you've had your own solo and um, bands that have been successful as well. Mm-hmm. For, you know, when you look back at everything, in your opinion, what's made you successful? You have a lot of good questions. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, because these are things that you ask yourself, you know, you toy with yourself. I mean, you, you find yourself sometimes saying, yeah, you're successful. For example, you do an interview and right. people tell you, 
oh, you've done this and you've written for all these people and you uh, hits and this and that. And you're like, yeah, that's right, I guess. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you're like, but at the same time, you're never really that satisfied. You're thinking, you know, that first Chronicles record should have sold five million copies. Right. You know, how come, uh, you know, I want to I want a number one song in America next month. Uh, I want you, to, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, it's really a tough thing. And I think a lot of artists um, struggle with that. You know, like I've had people, I remember I had a girlfriend once who told me, cause I was always like, well, I want to do this. We have to do that. I'm not doing enough of that, you know? And she was like, listen, if you stop today and never do another thing, you should be satisfied and happy with what you've accomplished up till today. Right. And I said, whoa, that's heavy. you know i said that's pretty heavy you know and i kind of every time you start to get insecure about things that you've done you kind of go back to that because like you say it's all relative you know you could think of a band that's never played you know for more than 200 people in their entire lives and never recorded an album the first time i saw my name on an album i thought it was the most wonderful things i was ready to retire (laughs) (laughs) right you know so it's it's relative it's um how I measure my success, I mean, I think maybe you'd say when you really can make 100% living, but even that's relative, because what's a living? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like uh, if Johnny Bon Jovi has one living. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You always strive for more, I think, is maybe the answer. You'd like to try to accomplish as much as you can accomplish. Right. Though at the same time, you don't want to take things for granted and you want to be thankful for the opportunities that you've had and the things that you've accomplished in your life. Right. I would have to agree with you 100% with that because I think uh, I share a similar philosophy and I've had plenty of people, especially in this part of Spain that I'm in, say, oh, well, you know, you've accomplished enough you know you shouldn't complain about wanting more of this or that but i myself you know although i'm not on the same level that you're at but you know try to strive to you know get other interesting people to speak to for the shows and you know a lot of times people ask me well what do you consider your biggest interview and a lot of times it's you know an artist who's spoken to me through their music for years you get to you get to uh you know, speak to them and maybe they're not the biggest artist in the world, but that specific interview sticks out because, you know, their music has been so important in your life. That's right. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So I guess, yeah, you just got to keep going forward and just keep doing more until you don't feel like you need or want to do more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> you know. So, so, so that will be, uh, when we're cold and in a box, I guess. So uh... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as the the dates that you guys are playing, where are you guys going to be? You're going to be here in Spain later this month. What other places will you be playing? We're actually just doing three shows in Europe this run. We're doing something. Okay. We're doing a festival in Norway in a place called Farsund. Um, that's going to be interesting. We're headlining this festival. There's been a very big interest in Norway um, lately, and it's kind of weird because, you know, there's never been interest in Norway in the past, you know, and all of a sudden um, 
you know it's just that's it that's an interesting thing about this business and and this world is that people can discover you and you know like i did an interview before you and the guy was honest and said you know faith wasn't my favorite album i'm not gonna lie you know and then and that's fine because i don't think it was my favorite album but then at the same time you know norway biggest website you know gives the thing a 10 out of 10 it's the first 10 out of 10 we've ever gotten in our careers you know and everybody from Bon Jovi to Def Leppard and everybody else gets a 7 out of 10 why I have no idea I don't know what they liked about it I don't know <laughs> what is it you know it's a very interesting thing so we're doing Norway we're doing one show in Sweden actually in Gothenburg okay uh, and a lot of people are going to come from different parts of Sweden so it's kind of like a touch base show, go out there and plant some seeds and, you know, speak to journalists, get out to the fans. That's why we're only doing one show in, in Spain. We're just going to do Madrid. You know, us and last tour, we felt that was the best way to do it. And we might end up doing something in the UK, but if not, we'll come back and do s several other pick cities to kind of set things up for a longer tour later in the year. Okay. At least that's the, that's the idea. Okay. And uh, if people want to find out about the band or what you're into, where should they go? Um, they can really just go to our website. I'll tell you, Facebook lately has been someplace where we're putting a lot of stuff up. And they can just go to crownofthorns.com. That'll drive them to MySpace or Facebook. Um, and on that Facebook, it brings you to all our YouTube channels. And we have a Reverb Nation um, site also. I don't know if you're familiar with that site, Reverb Nation. Yeah, I've been on there to check out other bands that I've interviewed in the past. It's pretty cool that Reverb Nation, um, and it's just because it's 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 just good that you can put pretty much everything that you need to put and that people need to know in one central place, you know, which is the concept of a website. But it's right. <laughs> but but um, you know, so one of Reverb Nation or Facebook is probably the best place to get the information on us. Any ETA on the songs that uh, you mentioned you're working on? Do you think those will be out at some point this year? Or... Yes, yes. We're, okay. we're looking, our concept, if things work out as planned, is to probably drop an EP with one or two new songs in uh, probably May or June. Okay, cool. Coming so out of, starting be... out of the UK. At least that's our plan. Okay, and, so uh, it'll be pretty cool. Pretty soon. Pretty soon. Pretty soon. At least that's what, unless, you know, things don't work out as I have in my mind. But, um, you know, but that's kind of right now the plan as of now. Hi, this is Jean Beauvoir from Crown of Thorns, and you are listening to Mars Attacks.
There you go. A little bit of The Healer by Crown of Thorns coming off of the album Crown of Thorns and would like to thank Jean Beauvoir once again for coming on. Want to thank Richard from Background Noise for presenting this to me. Um, He's helping promote the show here in Spain. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm interested to hear what they have in store. Uh, You know, maybe this isn't for everyone, but for those of you that enjoy hard rock and, you know, some of the 80s stylings of metal, uh, maybe this is right up your alley. So check out what they're doing. Uh, Just want to remind you guys that we do have the Twitter, Facebook, and MySpace out there. Remember, there are links to all of that straight from the homepage on MarsAttacksRadio.com. We also have the radio show, which is on Stream A of Mark Striegel Radio. Hopefully there will be a new episode this week. Trying to work on recording a bunch of episodes, so I have more or less the month set. So we'll see, work out on a theme or two and, you know, record some episodes around that. And uh, what else? I want to remind you guys that also we have Fusion Sonica, the Spanish-language podcast that um, airs on Mark Striegel Radio, airs on wildchildradio.tk, and uh, also can be found on fusionsonica.com. There's also the third podcast, which can be found at Victor M. Ruiz, R-U-I-Z as in zebra, dot com. That is called the Incoherent Ramblings of Victor M. Ruiz, and all three of these podcasts can be found right there on iTunes, so if you want, subscribe to them. Send me an email with your comments. You can send those to victor at marsattacksradio.com. And uh, that is pretty much it. Keep your eyes out on the website once again for the quote-unquote big project. I feel like Dr. Evil here mentioning that and when he says laser. But anyway, (laughs) if you're old enough like I am to know who... Dr. Evil is, if you're a young kid, you're probably thinking that it's some dated dumbass from a movie. So, anyway, (laughs) Uh, we're going to wrap things up with another track by Crown of Thorns. This is, excuse me, this track comes off of Breakthrough. The name of this track is Heartbeat. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again to Richard and Jean Beauvoir for coming on and doing the interview. And we'll have a lot of great interviews shortly. Hopefully we'll roll them out with less space than we did the the last few. But uh, we're trying. We're trying to get there. So thanks again. And we'll catch you next time right here on Mars Attacks Podcast. <laughs>